0: Chapter Fifteen Astounding Yet True Of The Lost City This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lost City By Joseph E. Badger, Jr. Chapter Fifteen Astounding Yet True The professor gave a great start at this almost reluctant suggestion, shrinking back with a look which fell not far short of being horrified. But then he rallied, forcing a laugh before speaking. "'No, no, Pruno, All conditions are lacking to form the mirage of the desert. And, too, everything was so distinct and clearly outlined that one could—' "'Fairly feel those blessed bow-arrows tickling a fellow in the short ribs,' vigorously declared the younger Gillespie. "'Not but that. I say, Uncle Phaeton.' "'What is it now, Waldo?' "'Reckon they're like any other people? Got boys and—and and girls among em, I wonder?' "'I dare say yes. Why not?' answered Featherwit, scarcely realizing what words were being shaped by his lips, while Bruno broke into a brief-lived laugh, more at the half-sheepish expression than at the query itself. "'Both boys and girls galore, I expect, kid.' but you needn't borrow trouble in either score you can outrun the lads while as for the fairer sex well they'll take precious good care to keep well beyond your reach especially if you wear such another fascinating grin as oh you go to thunder bruno gillespie through all this interchange the airship was maintaining a wide sweep drawing nearer the forest beneath if only to keep hidden from the eyes of the strange people in yonder deep valley Yet the gaze of Phaeton Featherwit as a rule kept turned towards that particular point, his eyes on fire, his lips twitching, his whole demeanour that of one who feels a discovery of tremendous importance lies just before him. "'Are we going to land, Uncle Phaeton?' queried Bruno, taking note of that preoccupation which might easily prove dangerous under existing circumstances. "'That question served to recall the professor to more material points,' And after a keen sweeping look around, he nodded assent. Yes, as soon as I can discover or secure a fair chance, I wish to see more. I must secure a fairer view of the—of yonder place. Will it not be too dangerous, though? Not for us especially, uncle, but for the Aerostat, even if these be not the people, you imagine. They are past all doubt a remnant of the ancient Aztecs. Yonder lies the true lost city, and we are— oh try to comprehend all that statement means my lads picture to yourselves what boundless fame and unlimited credit awaits our report to the outer world the benighted world the besotted world the the while we'll form the unspotted world or a portion of it without something is done and that in a howling hurry too fairly spluttered waldo as the again neglected airship sped swiftly towards a more elevated portion of that earth part of the tall hill-crest, which acted as nature's barricade to yonder, by nature-depressed valley. "'Time enough, lad, time enough, since we are going to land,' coolly assured the professor, deftly manipulating the steering-gear and still currying around those tree-crowned hills. "'If we are really hunted after, it will naturally be in the quarter of our vanishment,' while by alighting around yonder, nearly at right angles with our initial approach, we will have naught to fear from the—the the Aztecan clans. Clearly the professor had settled in his own mind just what lay before them, and nothing short of the lost city of the Aztecs would come anywhere near satisfying that exalted ideal. And taking all points into full consideration, was there anything so very absurd in his method of reasoning, or of drawing a deduction?' still that exaltation did not prevent uncle phaeton from taking all essential precautions and it was only when an especially secure landing-place was sighted that he really attempted to touch the earth fully one half of that wide circuit had been made and as nothing could be detected to give birth to fears for either self or airship the aeronauts skilfully landed their vessel with only the slightest of jars It was a well-screened location, where naught could be seen of the flying machine until close at hand, yet so arranged as to make a hasty flight a very easy matter, should the occasion ever arise. Not until the landing was effected and all made secure did Professor Featherwood speak again, Then it was with gravely earnest speech which suitably affected his nephews. "'Above all things, my dear lads, bear ever in mind this one fact—' We are not here to fight. We do not come as conquerors, weapons in hand, hearts filled with lust of blood. To the contrary, we are on a peaceful mission, hoping to learn, trusting to enlighten, with malice towards none, but honest love for all those who may wear the human shape, be they of our own color, or—or otherwise. "'That's what's the matter with Hannah's cat,' cheerfully chipped in the irrepressible Waldo. "'I say, Uncle Phaeton, is it just a lie low here "'until yonder fellows grow tired of looking for what they can't find? "'Then a flight on our part, or will we?' "'Have we voyaged so far and seen so much "'to rest content with so very little?' "'exclaimed the professor, hardly as precise of speech "'as under ordinary conditions. "'No, no, my lads, yonder lies the greatest discovery "'of the nineteenth century, and we are—' "'Get a hustle on, boys! The day is waning, and with so much to see, to study, too! Come, I say!' In spite of his initial attempt to impress his nephews with a due sense of the heavy responsibilities which rested upon them, Phaeton Featherwood was far more excited than either one of the brothers. Doubtless he more nearly appreciated the importance of this wondrous discovery, provided his now firm belief was correct that yonder stood a solid, substantial city, erected by the hands of a people whom common consent had agreed were long since wiped out of existence. The story told by Cooper Edgecombe, backed up by the articles taken from the person of the warrior whom he had slain in self-defense, certainly had its weight, while the brief and imperfect glimpse which he had won of yonder valley helped to bear out that astounding belief and yet how could it be true? Really believing, yet forced by more sober reason to doubt, the poor professor was literally in a sweat, long ere another view could be one of the depressed valley, although the landing of the airship was so well chosen as to make that trip of the briefest duration consistent with prudence. The natural obstacles were considerable, however, and as they picked their way along, the brothers for the first time began to gain a fairly accurate idea of what was meant by the term a virgin forest. To all seeming, the human foot had never ventured here, nor were any marks or spoor of wild beasts perceptible on either side. Although the aerostat had landed not far below the crest of those hills, the adventurers had to climb higher, before winning the coveted view, partly because the most practicable route led down into and along a winding gulch, where the footing was far less treacherous than upon the higher ground, cumbered as that was with a leaf-mould of centuries. Still half an hour's steady labour brought the little squad to the coveted point and once again Professor Featherwood was almost literally stricken speechless, for there, far below their present location, spread out in level expanse, lay the secret valley with all its marvels. Far more extensive than it had appeared by that initial glimpse, the valley itself seemed composed of fertile soil, yet by aid of the river, which cut through, near its centre, irrigating ditches conveyed water to every acre, thus ensuring bounteous crops of grain and of fruit as well. Numerous buildings stood in irregular array for the most part of no great height, nor with many pretensions towards architectural beauty or grace of outline, but in the centre of the valley upreared its head a massive structure, pyramidal, in shape, consisting of five comparatively narrow terraces, connected one with another only at each of the four corners, where stood a wide-stepped flight of stones. "'Behold!' huskily gasped the professor, intensely excited yet still able to control the field-glass through which he was eagerly scanning yonder marvels the temple of the gods and yonder the temple of sacrifice unless my memory is and look the people are they wear just such garb as oh marvellous amazing astounding incredible yet true Although their uncle could thus take in the various details to better advantage, still the intervening distance was not so great as to entirely debar the brothers from finding no little to interest them, as was readily proven by their various exclamations. "'Just look at the people, will you now? Flopping around like they hadn't any bigger business than to—' "'Reckon they're looking for us to come back, Bruno?' "'Or watching for the monster bird of prey, rather.' suggested the elder Gillespie. Of course they couldn't distinguish our faces, and our bodies were fairly well hidden. And, even more, of course they must be totally ignorant of all such things as flying machines and the like. "'Poor ignorant devils!' sympathetically sighed the youngster. "'Well, we'll have to do a little missionary work in this quarter before taking our departure, eh, Uncle Phaeton?' With a start, Featherwood descended out of the clouds in which he had been lost ever since winning a fair view of the secret city, and now rallying his wits and fairly aglow with eager interest in this marvellous discovery, he began pointing out the various objects of special importance, naming them with glib assurance, then reminding the boys how wonderfully similar all was to what had existed in old Mexico before the conquest. Bruno listened with greater interest than his brother could summon at will. For one thing he had long been a lover of the genial Prescott, and now that his memory was freshened in part, was able to closely follow the course of that little lecture, noting each strong point made by the professor in bolstering up his delightful theory. That monologue, however, was abruptly broken in upon by Waldo, who gave an eager exclamation as he reached forth a pointing finger. Look! There's a white woman yonder! Two of them, in fact! End of chapter 15